Hi, my name's Madalena Kay, and I'm the host of the podcast AI and You, produced by Europod in partnership with Podium Podcast, Agence France Press, and Cora Media. In AI and You, we deal with the history of AI and how it is having an impact on our lives. From social relationships to employment, from climate change to wars and security. Is AI changing our world for the better or the worse? Come and check it out for yourself. Subscribe to AI and You wherever you listen to podcasts. Europod. Hi, this is Alex, executive producer and producer of Europe Talks Back. Thanks for tuning in. Although we should have dropped a story episode this Wednesday, I'm here to tell you that this and the next episode of Europe Talks Back will feature a very different type of content. In fact, we wanted to share with you the recording of a panel debate we had the pleasure to moderate on the occasion of the European Lab, organized by Artifati and the Sphera Network in Brussels on October 12th and 13th. The panel debate went under the title From Rising Alternative Viewpoints to Providing Quality Information, How Podcasting is Transforming the European Media Landscape. The speakers of the panel were Ana Ribera Garcia Rubio, who's editor-in-chief at Prisa Audio in Spain, Jenny Tsiropoulou, freelance journalist and independent podcaster, and Efi podcaster, host of Beyond the Byline from Euractiv. The panel debate was moderated by me on behalf of Bull Media Podcast Production Company and Europod, respectively the company and the podcast label behind Europe Talks Back. So that's pretty much it. I hope you will enjoy the conversation. That said, we'll be back with the next story episode early November. Hello, everyone. I would like to start really from the word transformation. I'd like to know how podcasting has transformed your careers. Anna, we said you have 20 years of experience in television. So how did you move to podcasting? Why and has it transformed you? Hi, thank you everyone. I moved from television to podcasting two years and a half ago and the main change for me in my experience as a producer is how podcasting is really a new industry even though we think that it's developing real quick. It has a vibe of amateurs, which is not bad but it allows us to have a lot of time to be more professional and one thing that I didn't expect was that the processes of production in podcasting are so similar to television and to film and not to radio. No? And this is something that uh, for journalists is difficult to understand when they approach podcasts. You know, they are from radio, they are from print and they come to podcasts. They don't understand that this is a very slow process of work. So that's something that I didn't expect. And I think that my experience in television is good for understanding that production process in podcasting. And the other thing that struck me also was the budget, the limited budget in podcasting compares with television, which has it reasons to be because production in audio is more cheaper, is cheaper than in television. But I think that we have to move in order to be more professional, to invest more money. Is I'm talking from the point of view of a big company to know that we have to invest. If we want to have good journalistic podcasting, we have to invest a lot of time and a lot of money. So that is something that, you know, those two things uh, change my way of working in production. Did you ever regret the move to podcasting? No, 
Never. No, because when we when you spend when you spend 20 years in working on something and you make that big jump, it's like starting from scratch from the beginning, no? Because when you have experience of 20 years in something, you are so comfortable in that that you are just looking this, and this change allows me to become uh, more aware of everything. And in television, I knew for sure how to solve nearly every problem. And here, every day is like a challenge. And every day, I want to win the lottery. But that's another thing, just and to, and to retire. But that's not, <laughs> that's another thing. Fantastic. Let's move on. So, Jenny. Hi. Hi. You are a freelance journalist. I have told the audience that you had also roles in direction, editor-in-chief, etc. But we have worked together on the basis of we being producers of a podcast that you did. You likely talk about that, I guess. But... Being a freelance journalist is already very difficult. How has podcasting entered your life and has it changed somehow the way you approach maybe also in pitching maybe organizations? Tell us. In terms of uh, producing podcasts uh, myself, it entered my life thanks to you. <laughs> and Bull Media. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, when you called me that day and you suggested me to do a podcast series uh, on Greece. I started from text and writing as an online journalist and uh, then I did a master's degree in documentary production. So already I really enjoyed and I was used to kind of jumping into different fields of the wider mediascape. So when I had to work to produce, to do podcasts, I used all my techniques and tools from hard journalism, interviews, like uh, fact-checking, research, this doesn't change. I used my knowledge from script writing, from documentary, and stealing ideas from fiction always. But uh, still, it was uh, a new challenge to navigate the story using only audio and how to make, for example, music, silences, your allies as well in the context of your storytelling. I worked a lot on my voiceover techniques. I even took lessons uh, with an actress, basically. And uh, I acquired a new tool in cases people are afraid to talk on camera, so I have an alternative to do a story in the podcast way. In terms of uh, job opportunities, because I'm lucky to work with international media in English, uh, podcasts open new doors to me. That's true, and I'm grateful. However, I'd like to share with you that in Greece, it doesn't offer any new job opportunities in reality, because besides writing, taking photos, filming with your mobile, now you have to also produce podcasts. That means that in Greece, one journalist should do the work of three or four journalists and getting paid not more than 800, 900 euros per month. I'm really sorry, but I have to admit that. Actually, I understand that the impact was quite negative then, because I understand correctly that podcasting just increased your <laughs> workload. Yeah, I mean, if you see it that way, in a sense, I mean, it's a new medium, I mean, apart from joking, but uh, journalists already, we face very difficult uh, conditions uh, working in Greece, uh, either as freelancers, either as staff, in mainstream media, independent media. The budget is always very limited for reporting and writing and producing in general. You mentioned one thing about script writing. 
Can you maybe just go through that, how different it is for you? I mean, maybe explain also to the people from, you know, doing something. Writing scripts for podcasts. First of all, you know, we write every single word that we then uh, read and record in the studio, like uh, nothing is spontaneous, at least the way I work, but I don't know, you will tell me if it's the same for you in uh, every production. What I liked a lot in uh, script writing for podcasts is like the simple use of language, the short sentences, because at least in Greek language and in the Greek context of journalism, writing and text still bears some narcissism. Sometimes a journalist is trying a lot to showcase that he can do an amazing use of the language, sometimes overshadowing the subject or the people that he has interviewed. And uh, I love in podcasts how the language is simple and direct and you revisit some things that I think it's important to do, like uh, how you will bear the message and communicate the story, the fact, the whatever you will bring to your audiences in a humble way. Let's put it like this. Really interesting, thank you. I'd like to follow up, but maybe we'll do it later. So, move next to Efi. Efi, you come from radio, and I remember we had a chat, I think a few months ago, where once you told me that you miss actually some things from radio, and that podcasting has some things that you like less. But first, how did podcasting transform your journey? Thank you for asking me this question because every time that I am telling people that are not really familiar with podcasts, that I'm doing podcasts, they're like, oh, you're doing radio. And I'm like, yeah, not really. It has changed from that. Because of my radio background, I can agree that the workflow is way different in podcasting than it is in radio. You start in radio with researching a topic and finding the right profile to interview. You come up with the questions and... Like that, you somehow control uh, the flow of the interview to, to a certain extent. And when you're done with this interview, it's just a wrap up. Now, what I've described so far is the first part of creating a podcast. For me, the magic happens when you go into the post-production uh, part. That's when you're starting using all these tools, documentary storytelling, music to your advantage, uh, silences. So you start thinking more oh, as a documentarist and as a filmmaker than a podcaster or a radio presenter or a radio host. Your job as a radio host ends when you're just done with the interview, saying goodbye to your audience, and that's where it stops. In podcasting, I think it becomes way more intimate because you're putting parts of your personality in that product that you're creating, and then that's something that the audience also understands and takes from your podcast. Parts of your personality, of course, you're trying to do it in a way that is not your podcast because you don't want to be the star of the show, but you're trying to tell the story in a way that also matches your personal life and please correct me if I'm wrong if you manage to completely detach who you are from a podcast that you created I think it's very difficult from my experience obviously so that's why I believe that podcasts are the more evolved and sophisticated continuation of radio I would say like that because you focus a lot on the quality of the post-production on the story that you're going to tell why are you going to tell this story there's a lot of intention behind creating a podcast thank you it was really really true I feel really true really interesting I don't know if there's uh, people from radio in the audience maybe later they, they will uh, want to ask some question or maybe reply 
to your um, kind of uh, provocation there. But meanwhile, we have in this long title also other two really important concepts. Alternative viewpoints, which I think pretty much relates also to the philosophy of the Sphera project, and quality information. So at Bulmedia Europod, we have this idea, we believe that podcasting is unique because it's brought back into the public discussion viewpoints, which would be considered boring, maybe in more mainstream settings. That's a bit our opinion. But uh, I'm really interested in knowing, if you think about rising alternative viewpoints and other end providing quality information. There's not a continuum, it doesn't have, but between the two things, and if you think about podcasting, which of the two things is podcasting really fostering more? Is it more quality information or is it more alternative viewpoints? I'd start from Efi. Well, I am doing EU politics and policy and you understand that the topic is not the sexiest topic out there. So raising alternative viewpoints is what makes my topic quite interesting. Bringing the voices that you don't usually see in national media that are going for the big stories is something that I'm trying to do. I had an episode a couple of weeks ago about a report on uh, sex work. So I know it sounds like everybody can bring a sex worker to talk about the directive and It's true, in documentary you can do that, but you don't focus on the policy of this directive and how that implicates the life of the people that are actually doing this job. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to bring all the voices that are less heard in, let's say, in the EU politics and to show how EU politics and how EU policy is actually impacting us. because. If I am somewhere in Spain or in Greece and I hear EU politics, I'm like, okay, what does it matter for me? But it actually impacts your life because you will see the results of whatever decision making is being made here in Brussels affecting you wherever you are in Europe and if you're a part of the European Union. So I think raising alternative viewpoints, it's a great opportunity that podcast provides. And thank you for mentioning a really concrete case. What about you, Jenny? If you had to choose between the two, what do you think? Actually, I would like to share my thoughts about alternative viewpoints, at least in the Greek context, because it's not exactly what Evi just said. So in Greece, like it's very lately that mainstream media enter the podcast production. So like most of them now, they produce podcasts. But uh, the content and the angle of its story, it always has to do with who owns the media and how much freedom of expression a journalism has. Then, okay, on the other hand, there is independent production and uh, we're talking about the democratization of the media since a few years now with blogging, with YouTube, when it comes to text or moving image and now like with podcasts as well, this happens. But I was checking which are the most listened podcasts in Greece. Seven out of the top eight are produced by mainstream media. There's only one by an independent journalist, by the way, it's called Infowar by Aris Hadzistefanou. So you have the mainstream media finding a new medium 
to produce and reproduce their viewpoints anyways. So I was like very interested in bringing that point in our discussion because for me to really have more alternative viewpoints, everything brings back to demand more freedom of the press, demand unbiased state media funding, challenge the relationship between the media owners and the power, ask the people to pay for their news. I come from a country that according to Reuters Research Institute, only 10% pay for their news. I come from a country that in the um, Reporters Without Borders Press Freedom Index, it got the position 107, the lowest among all EU countries. It's not at all by accident that we too, when we had to choose which story, which topic we will treat in our podcast series, we decided to do the fall of press freedom in Greece. So... At least, as I described, in the Greek context, you don't have like independent productions getting their way, reaching big audiences. It's always the mainstream media that are the big winners of the field. So I wanted to share this thought because I think it's a little bit controversial, at least when it comes to Greece. Thank you. Speaking of mainstream media... Anna, you work for Prisa Audio, which is the biggest podcast producer in Spanish language globally, in Spain and in Latam. So you are mainstream, actually. I think it would be really interesting to know from you, did podcasting inside Prisa bring up stories that you think would have not seen the light otherwise, for instance? We are mainstream media, so we released a daily uh, podcast from El País almost two years ago. And for me, it has been, you know, a great success. It has like two million downloads per month, a huge amount of listeners that we are really loyal to the format. And we have discovered that we have reached an audience that is not the audience who is a subscriber of the newspaper. It's people that don't go to the website of El País. They just, we have found like... Um, place in their daily routine to listen to the stories and they found that we are telling them stories in another way, no? different from how it's in the newspaper. And coming from the side of the audience and not coming from the side of the, our journalism, I think that for the audience we have found that loyal people to listen to us because the alternative viewpoint that it's now in podcasting is the voice of the journalist, the personal point of view of them, which is something that it is very hard to make journalists to understand that it's important in podcasting, no? Because when we launched the vision of El País Audio from podcast, we had a hard time explaining to the newsroom that we need from them to come and tell the stories. And when we interview them, to be able to communicate to the audience how they feel when they go to reporting or to investigate, because they all say, I'm not important, the important is the story, but in audio, how you reach to that information or how you contact that source of everything, of every topic, whatever, it's important for the audience because I think that you tell that in Greek only 10% of the population is keen to pay for information. And I think that that's a huge problem because in the last years there has been a disconnection between society and journalism. I don't know the reason. I don't know. There's a lot of reason to discuss about that and it's not the topic of this panel. But I think that the intimate tone of the podcasting and having the journalism speaking as a 
person, not as an authority, it's like um, starting to close that big gap between journalists and society, and maybe it's a way to make uh, feel the audience that uh, paying for news is important and that bringing to them quality information is expensive. Yes, I'd like can. to ask uh, Anna something. So I'm curious to hear a concrete example of uh, how a story was treated the podcast way and how it was uh, presented like in text or something. And uh, if the journalist eventually managed to do uh, what you just described that you suggested them as a producer, you asked them to do This, this was not prepared, but I have a perfect example for that. In El País, in the newspaper, they start an investigation in 2018, five years ago, about the sexual abuses in the Catholic Church in Spain. So one journalist that was not in El País in that moment, he was a correspondent in Italy for another newspaper. He was watching TV. And he saw one of his uh, friends from his childhood giving a testimony that he was, was abused by a priest when they were like 11 or 12. And he was shocked by that because he didn't know that thing, no? Afterward, he came to work from El País, and in El País, they decided that they were going to start an investigation, no? When they started with this, there was, uh, as I said, 2018, and they have like one paper with three cases and nothing else. So there were two journalists working on that. So they write to all the churches, I don't know how you say it in English, well, obispados, just like the official places in each province, to ask if they have any news about the sexual abuse. They said no. And they found one testimony, the testimony of this friend of the journalist. So they published this uh, case. And one of the team, Monica Cebeiro, one of the directors of the El País, have the idea, of, why don't we put an email address at the end of the news, at the article, just asking someone if they have any case that we can write to us. And they put it just like, oh, okay. And that just opened a door and we received like thousands and thousands of cases, no? The amount was so huge that in the newspaper they create a team with over five journalists just to try to classify all the cases and then contact all that people and they decide that in order to be able to make those cases you know strong enough to be presented to the attorneys to in, in Spain they have to be recorded in video so they call everyone and just you know they So it was a huge investigation. They created a database with all the cases, with all the priests that were involved, all the churches and everything. So in 2021, we decided that the first podcast documentary that we were going to make among the division of audio was going to call El Silencio Roto, The Broken Silence. We were going to tell the readers and the audience how we have carried out that investigation. So the journalist that was the host was the guy that was in Italy and that, and he was not on it at all. No, he was, no, 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 I don't want to be the story that, and we said, we have to convince him to tell the story following his personal story since the moment that we saw his friend in the program TV, then when he came to El País, and then when he was put in charge on the investigation and he didn't want to do it because he thought it was going to be really personal, 
as it was. Then all that investigation, well, it's not ended, but uh, last year, yeah, in 2022, we produced a report with 3,000 cases, and we gave it by hand to the Pope in Rome, and this have moved a lot of things in Spain. So this is a way that a lot of people are not going to read, you know, another article about uh, sexual abuses in the Catholic Church, but a lot of people, more than almost half a million people have listened to the podcast. So, and now it's becoming a documentary for Netflix. So, thanks for listening to the first part of From Rising Alternative Viewpoints to Providing Quality Information, how podcasting is transforming the European media landscape. We'll drop the second part of the conversation next week, on Wednesday, as usual. Europe Talks Back is part of the Sphere Network project and is available on Europod. Our sound design and mixing are by Jeremy Bouquet. My name is Alexander Damiano Ricci, and I'm the executive producer of Europe Talks Back. Talk to you next week. <laughs>